This episode is brought to you by TwoLinedMusicCutStore.com. TwoLinedMusicCutStore.com is your all access to culture. Check out cultural merchandise like leggings, hats, mini boxing gloves, and bags. Also, t shirts like hip hop, nature, rock bands, reggae, and dark fantasy. Fast shipping worldwide. That's TwoLinedMusicCutStore.com. Now, let's check out this episode. What's going on, ladies and gentlemen? This is Muscle, and this is another Two Line Music Cuts Entertainment Report podcast. And today, we have a really, 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 really special guest in the building. Listen, this man has been in the business from the 80s right now until 2021. He's brought you classical hits like Trying to Get to You, Take Me Away, Bull in a Pen, Maniac, so much more. And right now, he has a brand new album, a historical album called Mother and Son. You know we have in the building today, we have Mr. Richie Stevens in the building today. What's going on, Big Boss? <laughs> Everything is good, my brother. Is, um, my grandmother said, yeah, skinny teeth like when donkey I eat kin. You ever hear them talk yet? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> that sure. means everything is good, man. Um, even though we're going through such a dark period in this life, but everything is still good because we still got life, you know? You understand. And that's the most important part, because without life, you can't do anything. Yes, sir. All right, good, because we we have so much ground to cover. We're going to try to cover as much as possible because with you, your legacy and your journey is so far in this business. So this is how we start on this program here. We like to go right from the beginning and then bring it up right to 2021. So my first question for you is this. Where did you grow up in Jamaica? And what type of child were you? <laughs> well, we grew up in a Westmoreland. Sablama Westmoreland, a little community called Hudson Street, popularly known as Russia. Mm. Yeah, and anybody from Westmoreland, I would tell you, so them know Russia. Yeah, it's a very popular place. So that's where I grew up for most of my youth life. And when I was about 16, we um, went to Spanish Town to live with the father. Mm. And um, after that, we've been all over the place. Mm. All over from there. What type of child were you coming up? Were you curious? Were you shy? What type of child was Mr. Rich? Um, I was a very active child. Mm-hmm. I grew up, wanted to do everything, trying to learn to do everything, especially physical things such as football, cricket. Um, I was big in, 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 believe it or not, in acrobatics. Some people said gymnastics. I was that kind of child who wanted to um, do everything physically. So I would say I have an eventful, I had an eventful childhood growing up. So when did you discover music, not your voice, but music, like some artists and stuff that you liked growing up? Uh, As far as I can remember, um, Dennis Brown is the artist that I first identify with coming up as a youth, as a youngster. I used to just love Dennis Brown tunes, you know? Tunes like, um, I've got to get myself together. Can't afford to let my faith go. Them tune there. <laughs> you understand me? Um, if I follow my heart, who am gonna love you? And then all of the elders, them in the era, used to drink at a certain bar. Mm-hmm. Would have called me up and said, listen, we hear say so you can't sing, you know, and punch. Them times you, you put your money into a, the, the jukebox. And yeah. you can play the A or the B sides. So they used to play the B sides with the instrumental and ask me to sing. And they would put me on a crate as a young stand. When I sing, 
the excitement was always enormous. You know, um, even though I was a shy kid, I wasn't shy to sing. Mm -hmm. And it wasn't until they, um, somebody one day was so impressed that they went looking for my mother and tell my mother that, listen, mama, come in. You have a superstar son in the making. <laughs> uh, you know, my mother laugh, mm -hmm. joke around. And, you know, after a while, she realized that I was really blessed with a voice for real. Mm -hmm. You understand? But I never used to sing for my family. I used to um, just keep it to myself. You know, as I say, I was kind of shy. But after a while, when I start singing for people outside of my family you now, and, you know, the feedback been coming to them, they, they, they forced me to sing. So I said, listen, you're going to have to let us hear you live. <laughs> and I, I, I sing for them, and then it, it, it was a general consensus that, yes, you're blessed with some musical talent, you know. So from there on, I was talking at about age eight, nine. So it was a very young age. Yeah. All right. Okay. So then when you decided to actually sing for your family, what did they tell you when they heard you sing? Everybody was very surprised what they were hearing, you know? Mm -hmm. We were like, really? So all this time you have this voice here hidden and so on, so on. Some of my cousins would say, but I, I, I heard him one time and... You know, I said to him, you need to sing for your mother and say, no, 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 not yet. And all these things. So some of them know, some never know. But it was a great celebration of, of music because, you know, now there is an, an extra person that can put in a line or two in the music. You understand me? <laughs> for sure. And you even said Dennis Brown was your big influence also. What was it about Dennis Brown in particular that you just liked about Dennis Brown? Dennis Brown is a standard. Any singer will tell you that. Any Jamaican singer will tell you that. Dennis Brown came with a style that captivates everyone. Music people, non-music people, and just everybody. We said Dennis Brown is a singer, singer. The style that he created, um, the way he sing his slurs and phrases, it's second to none. It's just very, very creative. And most of us came in the business patterning Dennis Brown style. So... I was one of the many, many artists that came in the business sounding like Dennis Brown. You know, he's the master of it. He's the standard, as I say. Mm -hmm. Definitely. And I know because even before music, I know you were dancing before music. How did that go? <laughs> well, you know that thing, the boss. <laughs> uh, it's, uh, well, I got music from both sides. Mm -hmm. My mother's side and my father's side. Because my father was not a singer, but he was a music collector and one of the baddest dancers in Kingston. Okay. Because I grew up, I was born in Westmoreland and grew up in Westmoreland, but my father is a Kingstonian that lives in Kingston. Mm -hmm. And um, I never grew up with my father. I never really met him till I was about 17 when I moved to Kingston. Okay. Long story. But anyway, um, my father was one of the baddest dancers. And in him dance group from them times. And me growing up in the country, never know about that, but just ended up being a dancer as well with my dance group. So we used to go to the different parties and, and clubs and just really take over the whole dance floor, me and my friend them, you know. So that's kind of one of the way I came up in the entertainment business way before I was established as a singer. 
Mm-hmm. And I'm pretty sure you having the acrobatic side of you already that helped you in the dancing. <laughs> well, to be honest with you, that was what we used to use in addition to just dancing. We used to use, because them time I talk about disco, mm-hmm. disco dancing, uh, break dancing. And that used to um, involve a lot of physical attributes where we jump up and we do backflips and somersaults and all them kind of things and so we used to just conquer the dance floor everywhere we go we just kind of just mash up every dance group collect whatever prize there is to collect and just Ghana we are so that is kind of how I started in the entertainment business before I decided to go into singing fully and what was your transition like now from a dancer to a singer what was that road like okay well being a dancer, what I was getting from going out there to dance was to learn how to be comfortable in front of a crowd. Mm-hmm. You know, because when you're singing or when you're dancing, you have one thing in common. You're going to have to go out there and face the public and do what you're doing. So getting all that experience from dancing, when I decided to start do more singing, it was kind of a little easy on me because I already used to it. Mm-hmm. You understand me? So I figure I find out that people really love to hear me sing. Because when I was going to school, one day I was singing and um, the teacher, I was singing close to a classroom and the teacher came out of the classroom and called me and said, come here. Mm-hmm. You love to sing? Why are you making up noise outside of my class? Come inside the class and put me in front of the class and ask me to sing. Sing, so sing the song that you were singing outside, disturbing my class. And all of the kids, them sit up and I look, all the students, I look, man, I mean, I know, what for the know because them time there, the young days. <laughs> and I remember I sing the song, it was a loot of Andrew's song, because never too much. I can't fool myself, don't want nobody else to ever love me. You are my shining star, my guiding light, love fantasy. There's not a minute, hour, day, or night that I don't love you. You're at the top of my list, cause I'm always thinking of you. I still remember in the days when I was scared to touch you. How I spent my day dreaming, planning how to say I love you. You must have known that I had feelings deep enough to swim in. That's when you opened up your heart and you told me the coming of my love. You know that tune, eh? Of course. <laughs> <laughs> of course. Well, I had to sing the tune the day I to sing the tune and the whole class catch a fire now and really start rap and get up and start dancing all these things and I remember looking up at the teacher and the teacher with was this big smile on her face and I sing and finish the song man and them start crying more more anyway step out of the classroom and the teacher follow me and say come here you know that you're very very talented how oh, you just sing the song and what was impressive to her is that I know the song word for word Okay. But that was very easy for me because I used to study every song. <laughs> anyway, that teacher became my, my first die-hearted fan. When you talk about die-hearted fan, somebody that just loves you as an artist. Yeah. So that was my first experience in learning that someone, a female teacher at the school, just really loved me as an artist. And uh, she would follow me up to say, hey, 
when are you singing again? I would love to come, all these kind of things. So that, that was a very good motivation for me in music. And this was at the point where you decided to leave dancing and go full force into music. At yes, I didn't. I didn't leave dancing altogether, but I really now start realize that hey, singing is really what I want to do. Mm -hmm. You know, this is the direction I want to go. Yeah. And what were some of your early steps after you? Okay, you made made up your mind. This is what I want to do. How did you go about trying to get into the industry now? All right. So when I when I left. When I leave school, I went straight to, remember I'm from, from Westmoreland. Mm -hmm. um, Negril is 18 miles away from Sablamar. Mm -hmm. And um, them time, Negril was like the reggae capital of the world with reggae music playing, live band playing seven nights a week. Mm -hmm. So once you have a talent, it's easy to pick up a job in Negril. So my first job was with a band called Yumoja. And I used to be not a singer, not a musician, but a roadie. Yeah, okay. Where I go and set up the band and plug in the wires and pull down the band when them finish and put up the box them on the truck and drive the box to the next venue and all these things. So that was my first little stint mm -hmm. at about 16 years old. You understand? Until one day they were having a rehearsal and they were running some tracks and the lead singer wasn't there. And um, the other guy that I was being the roadie with, guy was two of us as roadies, mm -hmm. him just decided to run up his mouth and say to the band leader, that song there, the band I play now, he know it and he can sing it. So the man looked like, yeah, right, you know? <laughs> and then I play the song, then I play the song, the D Brown tune. So the guitarist said, but if you know the song, sing the song, no man. <laughs> so me you know, step up and take the mic and love is never to say, you're sorry, you're gonna be my baby. I've been watching you a mighty long time. Hoping you will be mine, yeah. Wearing all those fancy dress, show sure looked tougher than the rest. And the the the, the, um, the band leader stop, stop the band, stop the band altogether, and say, tell me something. So when you did I go tell me this virgin? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so, them time there, you know, me and little youth, me have no experience, me don't even know what to say to the man. Mm -hmm. So, I you know, you know, no man. Once you're right, and him start playing, and him say, me know no more D Brown, and any D Brown him play, me sing it. Them time, I know every D Brown song, and still know every D Brown song up to now. Mm -hmm. So, of course, I you know some my job changed from that time. <laughs> right into being a singer in another band. Okay. So that was my first experience now, getting to sing different people's song. Not just Dennis Brown, but all the popular hits and so. And I, I do that for about um, almost a year until the opportunity now come for me to go and visit my father in Kingston. Okay. And when I went, the first place was Spanish Town. When I went to Spanish Town and meet my father now, in person, mm -hmm. it was very exciting for me. You can imagine a child growing up not knowing a father. 
And for some reason, it turned out now that I know my father. It was um, leaving from Westmoreland to Spanish Town, which is just a few minutes to Kingston, which Kingston, you know, all of the recording studio them there. Mm -hmm. So, of course, you know how my Gladbach bus them time there. So I remember now, my sister was the first one who, who I told, like, um, a singer. Mm -hmm. And we used to sing for her, and she used to be so impressed. But then she, not, she don't tell my father and nobody else. We are keeping it a little secret, you know? Mm -hmm. And my father hear me sing one day and said, no, sir. Are you sing that? No, man. We have to bring it to someone. Mm -hmm. There's this youth named Neville Morris that my father grew up in the same community with. That is in Waterhouse, a place called Mackinac Crescent. Okay. And um, he was living in Spanish town to some father. Bring me one day go over there and said, so, boy, I'm a son, this is what I tell about, you know, can sing and everything. It, uh, he was the lead singer of a band again. Them time the live band used to do everywhere. Boy, I will tell you, we missed them days, Essie Bridging. Trust me. The, tr trust me, Bridger. Live band used to be everywhere. Anyway, them strike up the band, and them time to know, we know a wide repertoire of songs. If you see Dennis Brown, me there. If you see Lionel Richie, me there. If you see Luther Vandross, me there. Mm -hmm. Everybody. You understand? Every top 10 hits. So the man them play and them play and them play and we just a sing song and sing song and before you know it, the little yard where we have in the rehearsal, if it was ten people that when we come by the time it we reach halfway into the song, them two hundred people out of the brother, the entire community come down because they never hear the voice yet. Yeah. Them used to the other people singing, but this is a new singer come now and I say who that and people are leave them yard and come. So by then. My confidence grow through the roof. I'm realized now, say, it's not just a community thing. I'm my community people thing. Community people, them are cheer for me. Mm -hmm. It was a big thing. Everywhere I go, is this the excitement growing? Because, of course, you know that um, I'm getting more experience now in the music. For sure. And immediately, they employ me as um, a singer in the band. And we start go everywhere go sing now. Boss, we are go in a Kingston, in a Ochi, all about we are going to sing now, you know, so it was um, like the platform for me to, to go to higher heights at that time. Okay. And when was the first time you entered a recording studio to actually record a song? All right. Um, the first time I entered a recording studio, that was in about 1985. Okay. Yes, about 1985. Um, singing my way around Spanish town and everybody now, I talk about this bad singer coming out town and the youth are bad. And I used to sing Stevie Wonder, um, Part Time Love. And that was like a big drawing card. When we sing that song up on stage, um, everybody would have just gather around and the girls them scream and all this thing. Gonna bring one, sing up the phone to let me know you made it home. Was not me, my part-time lover. That song there. Mm. I used to draw that song there and it's like my drawing card and thing. But then there was this Indian man that used to live in um in in Yorktown. Mm -hmm. They used to call him Braga. Past and gone, may God rest his soul. He was the first person to give me an opportunity to record. In 1985, we went to, um, to Aquarius recording studio in Halfway Tree. And I remember when I go to the studio, nervous like hell in a man, because I talk about the studio where Dennis Brown and Barry Saman and Gregory Isaac and the whole of them, they used to hang out. Mm -hmm. So 
go to the studio the morning and thing and the band go in and set up. Them time, the studio time was an all day type of thing. It wasn't like now we're just going and you press computer and press this and press that. They used to do music from scratch where the drummer will take a few hours to um, tune him drum and engineer, have to tone each, each piece of the drum, the kick drum, the hi-hat, the snare and all these things. Then the guitarist have to come and tune up. So it take a while to put it all together before you even start record. Mm-hmm. I remember we did it the day and all type of superstar passed through and first thing I asked, who for session today? And a man have said, them youth, the man and say, who are the singer? Man point and said, I youth, the man. <laughs> you know, so it was very nerve wracking. But at the same time, it was a great experience to kind of broaden my horizon to, to give an understanding of how the business operate. Mm-hmm. And um, the song was Pull Up Selector. It's an original of mine. Pull it up, selector, leave this one here for later. This little one, I make a trouble in the dance. That's the first song that we ever write. Pull Up Selector. And we record the tune. Um, the tune get a few little play on the ear. Mm-hmm. And after that, I move now from Spanish Town to Ochi. Okay. When we go Ochi, that was a different type of thing again because this is now the north coast where we're singing six nights a week in a hotel but before i get the hotel job the first person i worked with was carl young okay. now you probably wonder who carl young was carl young was the owner of irfm okay. but irfm wasn't the area irfm was just an idea mm-hmm. so um carl young of course um was running the a native floor show that white people used to come and come watch fire dancing and limbo dancing and all these things and i used to be one of the singers in the band okay and we do that for a number of years and then after that we leave from this and we go Montego Bay and hook up with a youth named ed robinson mm. singer ed robinson knock knock knocking on heaven's door mm-hmm. do some recording down there so while i was working also in sandals hotel mm-hmm. And we did there and we had to do some recording every day of our head studio. And I recorded a song called So Amazing, a Loot of Andrew's True. Yes. And there's this youth now that used to work at the bank named Murray, Byron Murray, who turned out to be Vegas manager years after. Mm-hmm. But I was the one, you know, Murray's entry into the business was to actually pay, not to produce the song. The song was produced by Ed Robinson, but pay for Stampa and um, all the expenses to put the song on road. Got you. So the song come out and start clipping the ear and start going good. And it caught the ear of many other producers such as Top Rankin. Mm-hmm. Top Rankin is big time producer who used to produce people like Delroy Wilson and Denbach. And Top Rankin decides to he more record me. So I'm saying no problem. So on the way to Kingston, we're coming to record another loot of Andrew Stone. And um, he was playing some rhythms while we're driving. And then I listened to the rhythm, there, man. Him did I drive and we start hum a melody. You better get out of town before I string up my sound. You must be foolish to come try. So I asked him, which song that? Someone said, it's not really a song. We just have a vibe something. He said, no, man, that me want. Forget about the other song. That song that me want. Yeah. So we went straight to dynamic songs. Big studio them time there. Mm-hmm. And we went to the studio and put on a rhythm and we just sing down the song. I remember Leroy Smart coming out of the studio the day and hear the song and 
said, who sing that song? Yeah, that song, yeah, boss. The artist, yeah, gone. Man, them say that you, then Leroy Smart said, big up yourself, you, with your song, wicked, you have a boss. Mm. You know, see, it, and when the song, they drop, it just become an instant hit. You understand me? This is Buffback we're talking about here. Yeah, man, Buffback. That was the start of my recording career now. Buffback. It was a runaway hit. Just mash up everywhere. You know, people from Japan and England and everywhere now, Europe start calling for specials. Mm -hmm. So that's when they know you have a hit song, when all the sound systems start calling for sessions, you know? And then for specials, and then you hear it in all the dances, it start kill a lot of sound. Can we tell you something like one? Before I leave Montego Bay, because I was in Montego Bay and recorded that song, there was a big sound clash. Okay. How they used to do sound splash back then? Sound splash on the opening night, they used to have like a 10 sound clash. Mm -hmm. So all of the top songs from Stone Love, Metro Media, Inner City, um, you name it, all of them big songs. And you have songs from Montego Bay as well. And the song from Montego Bay um, was a song called Pieces and music and electro force now electro force was my little sound now that we used to move with and um them just get the 45 see because i remember now that the mobile sound them could never compete with the king's kingston sound them when it comes to dub plates mm -hmm. so anyway the session i go on i wasn't even there you know i wasn't even there i was at work a night mm. and the session i go on me here and stone of them have the place away and the little, little sound. I hear me, I hear from people, you know. Hmm. Let your force say, Listen, I'm mobile. We come from, you know, I wanna come from Kingston, you know. So you see that tune I go play now is a mobile artist. Got them time I live a month ago, so everybody thinks I'm a mobile artist, but I really come from Westmoreland. Okay. So the man said that tune I will play now is a mobile artist. And you need to listen to this. I'm dropping the tune, say, You better get out of town before I string up my sound. And because them come from out of town, I'm and um, little force come from Montego Bay. I hear say, brother, for about 10 minutes straight, a beer gunshot. Them time that was legal gunshot, a fire and a dance. And I like now where man, I say, bo, bo, gunshot, a fire and a dance. So the night when that one, me now I leave work from the hotel, me used to sing. I come, I, I go home. So when me reach in a, in a mobile city now, to get a grab a cab to go home to where me live. Me just see a group of man just rush me and say, see the man here. And when me look, me see a bridge in the crowd, and me know, and him, I say, yo, them not tell you what going on. I mean, I say, no, what man, them start telling me, so boy, you're true and kill a sound and rare and with them time to them thing, they are big things in a bridge. Mm -hmm. You understand? And it's like, me feel great about it. I'm going home, I'm here. So the next day, every sound man I look for me in a man to go be From, Stone Love to um, Inner City, Metro Media, a youth name Ian from Roadstar. I suppose mm -hmm. you know Ian. Of course. Every man I look for me. Mm -hmm. So, but the day I get the news, every woman go me here, so this man I look for me, this man I look for me. So, Monday now, on Mondays used to be my day off mm -hmm. from, from the hotel singing job. And I decide, say, all right, I'm going to Kingston, so I go on. You see, when I go to Kingston, brother, I'm a grown a jammies. And when I grow a jammies, and all of the sound and them realize, say, the singer will sing boof buff, terror on a jammies. I sing dub for about three days straight to the bridge. They sing so till my pocket. Them couldn't hold money. Big up King Jammies, because I whole heap of you to make it food. Whole heap of you.
in many different ways, from hit songs to dub plates to all of these wonderful things. So we want big up King Jammies. See, my first set of money when me making a music business was around a Jammies place. So much so that we could have used the money they set up a business for my mother down a country. See, so we are eh? Oh, the dub plate. Yes, man. Yes, man. Them time the dub plate a big thing. When you have a hit song. Mm-hmm. Brother, you don't play till you're weak. As I say, I sing, Rona Jammies, I sing so much dubs that the pocket them couldn't hold no money again. I remember I'm there to tell the man, they said, tomorrow, I want to come back tomorrow and sing again at the same thing. I said, tomorrow again at the same thing. And then, mm-hmm. me just go back down a month ago, if you tell the band one thing, say, gentlemen, mm-hmm. no disrespect, but um, just find another singer because me really need to just leave this job and go Kingston go live. See him when we tell the man them. <laughs> you know, see it. So we just come back in a Kingston, come live bridging and just decide, say, listen, a straight recording right now. We're done with the North Coast thing. Come and do that for a while. And, you know, even though the North Coast was a great training school because it prepared me vocally for um, all of the wonderful things that I've done through the years. But, you know, you, you want to make another step. You know, so the, the perfect timing was to step out while having a hit song. Okay. You understand? So that was the beginning of my um, recording career, sir. Because I remember at that time there, you'd hear songs like Bodyguard, Inner City. As you said, everybody playing that, and it had a different type of rhythm, like a dun 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 And sometimes you would hear it on Panani Rhythm too. And when that comes in, the only other artist at that time that was doing dubs that sounded like you, especially with the voice effects and stuff like that, was um, Johnny Osborne with that big, heavy voice and your make sounds. You yeah, 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 yeah. In that dub the time they, Them time the dancehall was very, very special, Virgin, because there's so much different level to represent on. Dub plate was one of the, the most challenging, one of the most rewarding yet one of the most creative things to do because some people have a hit song, you know, and don't even know how to do the plates because there's an art in doing the plate to make it effective. Mm-hmm. You can't just sing the song how you sing it on the record. Sometimes you have to start with the verse or start with the chorus, whichever way to make it effective. But mm-hmm. ultimately, you have to sing it so it can kill a song. Yeah. So some of we as singers used to get a lot of dubs to do because we know how to do the dub them to make it hurt sounds in a dance hall. You understand me? And that is the reason why I start doing buff buff and punani rhythm instead of the original rhythm. Mm-hmm. Because punani rhythm is more aggressive. And when you come in at, and say, better get out of town, boom, 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 it's like it does very, very effective. Mm-hmm. So we start doing that way the and thing. And, you know, so it's just, it's just an art in the business. It's really sad to know that them thing there is not as prominent as before. Because I think it helped to make... All right, another thing about dub plate singing and dancehall back then. Mm-hmm. To sing a dub is not like now, where you sing it like you're doing a recording and you stop and you come again and you take this and come and take. You have to sing straight mm-hmm. because dub was cutting live and acetate. Mm-hmm. So while you're singing, it's recording. So if you stop or you make a mistake, you spoil up the acetate. So if you become a spoiler of acetates, a lot of someone wouldn't want to cut dub with you because they can't afford for you to spoil them acetate. So it gives you a chance to, to, to be sharp 
and to think ahead and just know, so listen, you have to be creative right through the three minutes of singing this dub. You can't make a mistake and you have to sing it and make it effective and make sense. So it keeps you sharp as an artist. You're right. And even when that song there came out, Boof Bath, I remember you had done a lot of early work with um Dennis Starr. But it seems like those songs were recorded first, but it was oh. after Boof Bath is when we started here, Ruffus and all of those songs that were recorded for Dennis Starr. Yeah. Well, Dennis Starr was after, after Boof Bath. Mm -hmm. um, I met Dennis Starr and Juni Starr. Mm -hmm. And start doing a lot of work with them down a tough gang. So tunes like DBDB sound boy, DBDB sound boy. Anything you do, I can do it better. My sound is the roughest, and all them songs that start come out. And we did we did quite a few recordings and things. So we have to big up Dennis Star and Juni Star as a part of the foundation of Richard Stevens too. So then now you have all of these songs coming out. So did you move to Kingston permanently, or you went back to West Milan at this time here? No, no, no. I stayed here, man. From them time that we are talking about, we're there till now, you know? Mm. Because it's the capital of the music, Kingston. You know, it's where all the students, not like now, we have a studio in every community or in every household. Them time, there are a few studios in Kingston. Mm -hmm. You understand? With a few other little ones in Montego Bay or Ochi, but predominantly it was Kingston, the, the big professional studios, the dynamic sound, the Aquarius. Um, the tough gangs and all of them sounds them studio is right here in Kingston. So this was a place to be. Good to go. So now you have these big massive, you have this massive hit, especially, but this is a real dance hall hit. What was your next move now to really get into the radio hits and all of those stuff there? All right. So by then now I started working with a lot of different producers. I saw it by them time they come and people recognize the talent. Everybody just come and present every day, Marso, and whatever you like, you just sing. So the hit starts coming. Um, as I said, after the whole Boof Buff thing, we do some work with Dennis Starr, and then I met Donovan Jermaine and start singing some tune for him that was really massive, you know, tunes like, Ooh, the shape of me. Would you believe Donovan Jermaine tune? Tunes like, um, I see forever in your eyes. Donovan Jermaine tune. I've got a weakness for sweetness, and everyone knows Donovan Jermaine tune. So I've scored a lot of hits with Donovan Jermaine. Big up Donovan Jermaine because you add to the catalog of Richie Stephen in a very rich way, sir. See? Yeah, man. How did you meet Jermaine in the first place? Well, you go back in them time there. A producer either send come call you or you just go check out the vibe down at them studios. So I can't remember quite how it go. But I just know that me end up at a penthouse and um, I read him was playing and no man, me not talk the story right. <laughs> it was Barry Salmon. <laughs> when Barry Salmon attempted to touch, mm. see Barry's upper half a tree, mm. up with the record, there was a big record store up there where all of the people from all over the world and all over Jamaica come buy records mm. at half of the press. And I remember here tempted to touch the day inside there. And we as artists used to go there to listen to what's new as well. And I hear the dent, the very summon tune. And I said, blow oh, that very so bad. No, this mud. And then later on, I step outside and 
go around to the skill and I don't know if you know the setup out of half a tree still. You come out of the, the record shop or the studio and you go around to Skateland with all of the artists them there hang out. I'm still Mr. Barry Summer. Okay. So what did they attack me? I said, boy, I had a new tune, them mad. And he said, Jeremy, produce it now. I'm at a fuck, you know, I'm down there, record, find the rhythm, you know. God tell him, say, me, same for record, you know. I said, what? I love singing a song, find the rhythm. So I just said, boom, and jump on a taxi. Them time, the man, no one carry it, I know. Jump on a taxi, and just a boom, and go down a penthouse. Not where it is now, not at Balata. It was on Slipen Road. Yes. We go down a Slipen Road, man, and... Tony Kelly was the engineer. Tony Kelly and DF Kelly was the engineers down there. Yes. And um, go in and tell Jeremy and what Barry say. And him say, oh, yeah, man, all this one work with you too, you know. So Tony, give this man a rhythm. So I take the rhythm from him and go home and listen to the rhythm. And all I could hear is, ooh, the shape I'm in. Would you believe I have lost the race again? I'm say, okay, I'm going to sing this. So I call up Cancer from Stone Love. And say, Cancer, may I come check your fit? The song when I'm trying to get to him. Say, yeah, man. I'm going to go check in and give me the song. I learned the song, go down to the man. It was an early morning. We go, we go sing the song. Tony Kelly was there and thing and the man. I'm say, ready, we're going. Who the shape and sing down the song. Don't sing the song and leave the studio. I'm going to get back my call from Jermaine. So I wonder if he like it or not like it. But the next thing me know, brother, I just start get beer call from people. Richie, that new tune, they are murder. That tune, they bad. So I say, which tune? Mm-hmm. People sing the tune. I say, yeah. So when me hear the tune now and hear the mix, I think it's really Tony to be credited for this song because the arrangement mm-hmm. of the mix, highlighting the voice in the beginning was very creative. Mm-hmm. And that to me is one of the reasons why the tune was so massive. And still, one of my biggest tunes today. Mm-hmm. That's crazy. Just for something that it wasn't even really planned. You guys just put it together, said, okay. And you weren't even, you didn't know what the song was going to do for you for something that turned out to be so <laughs> massive in hindsight. Well, to be honest with you, that's how some of the biggest songs come about. It's never usually a planting where you sit down and you write it out and you say, I'm going to do this tomorrow morning and I'm going to do that. Sometimes you just buck up into a big song. You just go to a studio and I read my play and you start home, something engineer say, yeah, man, that sound wicked. You know, it's also some, some big tunes have a history of coming out of a natural vibration that a planned vibration. That right. I can mm-hmm. When did you connect with Bobby Digital? Bobby, <laughs> Bobby, I know Bobby from Jammy's days, but wasn't too linked to him back then. But when he moved to UN then, um, I remember I go up there, go check him and thing. When he just started, the studio was in his house, not around the back. And we go record a tune him, yo, yo, one of me sell the girl. That was the first song. And we just became bridges. You understand? Bridging. Bobby's a principal man like myself. He loved to do things a certain way. And so we could identify with each other from earlier. We did a couple of recordings, including a song called Crush, Left Me With a Broken Heart, and many more. You know, and I hear Bobby as one of the, the best producers of our Jamaican music. Mm-hmm. 100% agreed. One other duo that I know you did a lot of work with, also even lately you did work with them, Steely and Cleavy. How did you guys connect? Steely and Cleavy. Cleavy is from a family that I respect dearly when it comes to music. The Brownie family. 
I don't know if you know the history of the Brownie family. They started out as a group called the Brownie Bunch. And that is, that is um, Dalton Brownie, Noel Brownie, Danny Brownie, Glenn Brownie, which is the biggest brother, and Cleavy. Mm -hmm. They started out as a singing group called Brownie Brunch. And um, I used to see them doing them thing. And then after that, Danny Brownie formed a band named Bloodfire, which I became a big fan of Bloodfire as well. So when I came into Kingston, I met Cleavy the first time at at um at um what's something mix it's not studio 2000 them time they never owned them studio mixing lab studio mm -hmm. and it was just healing me up about the musical talent and i said boy you're not a normal singer and i pick up the thing and i glad to meet him too and i said well you're not an ordinary drummer <laughs> our music producer and we big up each other and become bridges and then we start seeing some songs. The first song we do with them was a song called Spanish Harlem. Mm -hmm. That did very well for me, especially in England, you know. And thing, and we, we do a lot of works together. Even this song that I did called Rain From The Sky. I did that song from the time when No 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 came out and became that big hit. Yeah. But my song didn't make the album because the brother who played the trombone was nowhere to be found. Mm -hmm. So my song wasn't finished in time. So. It's years after he put on the trombone and the song just released about five years ago. Mm -hmm. But it's from about 25 years ago that we recorded that song. That's, mm -hmm. crazy. That's crazy just to understand how the business works. One other producer, before I go somewhere else too, that you even brought them up early, Dave Kelly, because I know you recorded for Dave. I think it was only... Yes, man. Yes, man. Dave Kelly, man, one of the baddest dancer producers Jamaica ever see. Well, when I did a song called She's a Maniac mm -hmm. with Bunty Killer, that song was another massive hit song. See? Um, Dave Kelly was very, very, very impressed with the way the song sound, mm -hmm. with the way the song um, was produced. So the first thing he asked me is, who produced that song? Mm -hmm. So I said, I produced the song. Mm -hmm. And he said, what? Then, then how you do that and how you do that? I said, well, I just saw it go. See him like you, you feel a certain style of, of, of producing and presenting a song and you try it and it worked. So he said, big up man and thing and go link him. Cause you know, Dave, Dave Kelly was a very funny person. He know exactly who he want to work with and him, some people him just not gonna work with them. I just saw him think it's set. Anyway, we go check him and play him the, the, um, the song. Pat I cook everything I see, madam. Fish has seen the yoko with the gum. Linda, I mix up the cherry and the plum. Don't let me down. Don't let me say, yeah, that. But, which is a surprise, though, because Dave Kelly is a man, he must write everything himself. Mm -hmm. So most of them big hits, the way here, Bunty Killer, Baby Sham, and all of them, man, they be the man, they must sing at Dave, right? Them. Mm -hmm. Which is another credit that I give to him, because he's one of the baddest dancers and songwriters. Mm -hmm. But I wrote that song, he loved the song and recorded the song, song come going away in a dancer. There are several songs that I produce um, and made big hits too. Mm -hmm. You understand? From back then that some people didn't know. One of my biggest combinations was the Garnet Silk. Yeah, okay. You brought me to this story. Let's go into this one and take your time with this because I have a two-part when it comes to this story here. Continue. <laughs> All right. So Garnet Silk became a bridging mm -hmm. because he was living up the road. From where I was living, I lived like at the beginning of the road, and I lived a couple houses up. You understand, on top of a hill. 
And he used to pass all the while and stop and we heal up each other. And I say, yo, what going And we heal up each other and him gone. And one day, my pass and him stop and say, yo, Richie, you know, so we don't sing the song together yet. I'm say, all right, my boss, don't worry yourself. May I come check you? Me have a song more here. He said, come later on about five o'clock. I remember I go up there and he said, all right, listen to that song here. I'm going to play the song. Get on up, stand up, fight back, and don't give in. Don't let the things they say and do weaken your heart and conquer you. Just make, and he said, stop, stop the song, stop the song, and him call him bridging them. The Bagarasta bridging and them come and listen and thing and Everyone has said, no, sir, this is a pepper, this is bad, and Ray, and they say, so Richie, will you sing this already? He said, no, man, sing it already, but I can do go back to the studio and we'll just take out some of the parts, and you sing some of the parts. But them time the gun, it's hot like fire. So I said, boy, it's my song, so it's best for me to start the song, and then him come in. But the, 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 the conventional way, them time there was for me to sing a verse and a chorus, and then him come in and sing a verse and a chorus. Mm -hmm. But I said, the way the man had star, I feel like I want to share the song equally. So I came up with the idea of me singing, don't let the things they say and do. Then him sing, weaken your heart and conquer you, me. Don't make your life want to shoot him. And I know Jawas. So we sing the song line for line for line for line, and then we sing mm -hmm. the chorus together. So that was, I think, the beginning of making songs that way. Mm -hmm. We sing the song that way there, and the song just turned out to be a scorching hit. You understand? A song that really connect all over the world and thing, you know? And I produced that song for my good friend Tap Rankin because Tap Rankin wasn't in Kingston when the song was done. I feel the song. I called Tap Rankin and said, I have a song I'm going to do, and he just tell me for call, steal it and Cleavy and then play the rhythm and give me. I'ma take it, go up at the studio, record myself, everything. Garnet sing, same one sing a song, I'ma check Garnet, play it for him. him. love it, we record the song. And then here it is today, big, 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 big song across the world, household hit. So the story of that. With that song now, okay, that was the song. Now I need to hear about the dub play, the Kilimanjaro dub play. How did that come <laughs> around? All right, so the Kilimanjaro dub plate now. Mm. The song has scotch, the song has mash up the whole plate. But them time there, Ghana still was having some problems in the country. Mm. See, when he was building a house with mother and people have stopped teeth, the material and all them something there. That's what I was hearing. Mm -hmm. So he means to spend a lot of time down there. Um, Bag of people, every song wanted the dub. Every song wanted up. But of course, Garnet is not here, so we can't do the dub. We have to wait for him till him come in. See? So I talked to him on the phone a few times and he said, Richie, we have another song for you now. We have to do Seven Spanish Angel. The song that was done by Ray Charles. We have to do it. So tell 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 the musician and just get it together. So when we forward, we're gonna just record it. And he said, Yeah, man. Mm -hmm. And thing and but then him pop up one at a time and Jaro, him and Ricky Tupa bonafide bridging them time there, and Jaro, the whole Jaro family, and him a Bridget. So I'm saying, Richie, I come in, you know, but I can't stay. We just come in for a little thing, but I come eat up around a Jaro and I shut the window for him now. I'm saying, all right, no problem, man. I'm going to eat up around there. And I'm stepping at the place and thing, and we do the intro, and I say, yo, Jaro, Garnet song, Jaro, Richie song, say something, Richie Steve now, with us. So boom, I shut the door. 
and him cut out because bugger sound here, same up a jar and I run come to come get the dub and him shut out. Boy, the last time that me ever seen it, brother. It was really, really a sad moment what took place after that, which we don't have to go into. But um, it was really, really sad that it turned out the way it turned out. And um, I remember how happy I was when that song dropped and how the song had gone and looking forward to do so much more work. As a matter of fact, the last performance, mm -hmm. no, that wasn't the last time I saw Ghana. The last performance he did was on my birthday bash. Mm. Based on the strength of the song, I was putting on a birthday bash on me, call him and ask him if it's possible for him to come mm -hmm. for the birthday. And he said, I can't miss a birthday bash. I'm going to put on the birthday bash in a club named up by Ligani at the time. Um, what is the club name? Mirage. Mirage. Mirage was a big fancy club back then. Mm -hmm. And when the, the, we advertised the show and the show hype, it was me, Garnet Silk, Brian and Tony Gould, Mikey Spice, them time the Mikey Spice now have no fame yet. Um, Scatter was singing for Inner Circle now and Chevelle Franklin, a little girl them time there. And um, nice lineup of artists. Mm -hmm. I mean, I tell you, say, when we start get closer to the show, everybody start to miss a gun and say, nah, come on the show, you know. Them time, they was missing a couple of shows. Okay. You understand me? And people are saying, nah, come on. Remember, I call him and say, gun it. You know you're busy, you know, brother, and you don't know where your brother is, you know, so you can't live with me. You have to come on the show, or you can't come. Because if you can't come, tell me so that we can... Um, Put in someone in your place. He said, Richie, worry not thyself and listen to no one. May I come at your show? You say, all right, brother, come hear the conviction in my voice. And he was the kind of youth like that. If he never come, you would tell me. Yeah. Some just know me, no others know say I'm going to come. I'm going to make no other arrangement with no other artists. I remember the night of the show, when the, sh the, the show rammed so till it couldn't hold. I mean, people outside couldn't come in at the club. And it was a decent-sized club with, that can hold a lot of people. And I remember everybody singing and everybody singing until the artists them finish half now. And the day and we said, boy, a general star. Like, on it, now nah, go come in. Like, him now nah, go forward, you know. So they said, boy, Richie, you don't know, you try your best. Just go up on stage and explain to the people. Then. But you know, that was always a very uncomfortable thing to do, you know. You yeah. go up on stage and explain to people about something that is as disappointing as that because them time this song was the number one song in the country and everybody want to hear me and Garnet sing it because they never hear me and them sing it yet mm. and when we step out on the stage you know and the crowd reel up and feel like say Garnet come and me go call up Garnet you know and I remember when we said break it down and when it's a boom and take it down now me I get ready to tell the people I'm so boy the man of our, you know, me just hear a voice say, in there. But me just hear the voice, I'm vaguely hear the voice, but me could I hear what the voice say. Mm -hmm. I know some of them look around to see if him dead or not. Me just start introducing him, you know. <laughs> because I still remember the conviction in him voice when him said, don't worry yourself, man, me have a daddy. I still remember the conviction. So me I say, so how him could have sound so convicted in a way my tell me and then don't show up. Mm -hmm. Me have that hard for believe, man. So when the voice say him there, me just knew same day after true. I remember when I call on the man to a stage virgin, man, and the band start play fight back, you know. Anybody who was in that club that night can tell you. 
it was like the club ceiling was shaking down like it. I got dropped down from the wall with the pandemonium and the place when the man stepped on for the stage. You know? I remember him come on stage and him hold me up on my shoulder and I saw we up and sing the song in the bridge and I would sing the song and perform the song and the man I sing and the man I tremble I never forget the man and I tremble and the man sing the song and we are sing the song and we are sing the song and then we, 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 we pull up the song so till he couldn't pull up no more mm-hmm. and me now excuse myself from off of the stage because me I say he must have sing at least one half dozen tune because the people and love him you know them love the people them, they, they was so in love with Garnet Silk and Garnet Silk was so scarce during them time. Eh? Yeah. Because you just couldn't really get him to do shows because he must have do some things out of the country. And Billy Moley, the house, I know him passionate about his mother. Just like how me love my mother, I'm passionate about, about my mother. So he wanted to spend time for dealing with that. So people kind of miss him. I remember in the step off of the stage and the whole crowd go quiet and me don't know if I'm for calling back. Because I don't want to call him back and I'm gone. So I said, I step off of the stage now for the find out what happened. And when I go on this, when I go on there, I say, Garnet, they want you back in there. You have to come back. He said, Richie, I hear a night, man. It's not my night. I hear your birthday. Look more. We talk to you tomorrow. And he cut. And that was the last time I saw him, brother. That was the last time. What's really, really, really a heavy one when news got back to us about what happened? Mm-hmm. was really where I was torn apart so bad. So bad that me just couldn't say nothing. For days, me couldn't talk about nothing. Just the, the whole memory and everything that happened was just right in front of the face. And it was just sad, you know, really, really sad. Mm. The crazy thing with it, you guys only cut one dub plate and only performed that song one time. One time, yes. Yes, sir. If that And I still have that... I still have the video of that performance on a tape under my bed right now. I mean, just never even show nobody. We just have it. Okay. Mm. That's crazy. That's the power of that song here because everybody that I spoke to that talks about Garden Soap, they say that he had a real mystical energy to him. He was a real different type of person. We were a special human being. Garnet Silk was a special, special human being. He would have the kind of energy there that you don't find that kind of energy in a lot of people at all. Mm-hmm. You know, to just be on a scene and listen to him talk was, was a different experience. That was my vibe with him. When him, when him talk, you know, and he and I had a great friendship that nobody don't know about. It's a man who just rate me, I'm just rate him because there were some things that him had do that I was doing the same thing. Like, I'll share a little part with you. Okay. We both come from country. We both have come from nowhere to be blessed to have something and father bless we. So what him do is bring in a portion of brothers in Kingston who wasn't as educated in sending them back to school. Me and him buck up at the same school doing the same thing because I have family member that I was sending to the same school. Mm-hmm. You understand? So his, his um, my bridgingship with him was more based on just how we were living, not just music. Mm-hmm. You know, we have great respect for each other based on what we were doing for families that, that the public don't know about. That's wild right there. Just to even know, because again, a lot of times we only see people, but you don't know what's really happening behind the scenes because clearly you just don't sing. There's other facets to your life also with other things that you're doing and that you're involved with from time to time. But you wonder, I know... By now that 
when an artist break, it's not the many people that just sit tagging along behind them and all over the place mean that much to them, you know. Because we know the entourage go to, while some of the bridging that might be genuine, some of people join the bandwagon based on the um, popularity of the artists or what opportunity they can get. And, and unfortunately, that's just the truth, you know. But there are some people who share special moments and who have a special relationship with people based on how, what they're doing and, you know, all these type of things. And even wish to establish it either. Just hold it this up. Mm -hmm. We don't need to have to go out there and load up nothing. We just have to do what we are do. But what we are doing is so purposeful and meaningful for our families that when me realize that he might do the same, me, we just develop a really great vibes. Come in my second down and silk a rasta man will believe now when believing on me, I want ballad you. But yet we do the big song. Mm -hmm. So a lot of people might wonder how the combination they come out or whatever car two different vibes. But no man, we are the same in spirit. We are doing the same purposeful, meaningful things for our families. So that is how me and him did really come together and end up singing that powerful song. Crazy, crazy, crazy. That's an amazing story there. What I want to do, I want to go back so we could move forward. Because there was a big part of your journey that we didn't even get to speak about. How do you connect with Spectron in the first place? Because that now, this is the real powerhouse of artists. This was you, Shaba. Bounty, Patra, Cabra, Ghost, Dugsy Ranks, Biko Bailey. Um, there was so much you guys. How did you connect with that camp? <laughs> well, that whole camp that you just mentioned, some people used to call it the Motown of reggae. Mm -hmm. And um, it started with me and Shaba. Okay. It was with me and Shaba Ranks mm -hmm. who started that um, company. Especially started managing Shaba Ranks first. And shortly after that, Mm -hmm. He start managing me. I met specialists the first time in a dance hall in Montego Bay. Them time I mean, I have buff off none of yet. Them okay. time that was when we used to record some songs with Ed and used to get some play by a song called Tika Music, Dutty Harald, the selector. And we used to play it and Damali Beach used to be the hot place at the time in Montego Bay and specialists come from Montego Bay. So sometimes I would pass through them dance there and a tune they have near nothing with you. Play the night and mash up the place and it's like, man, I show him, say, that you just sing it. And him come over and say, yo, are you singing the song? Yeah? And I say, yeah, man. And say, wicked, my youth, wicked. I have a label in me. I go on vice here one day. That was my first time meeting him. And I say, yeah, man, I will shake hands. Mm -hmm. But then I you know, see him for about a year after that. And the next time I see specialist now was when I have Boof Buff and Derek Barnett called me up and sting. Them time that the song just come out and Derek Barnett say, yo, I have a little you turn up. Oh, step up Richard Stephen and run up and start singing. Better get out of town and the whole stadium mash up. And um, when me come off a stage, it's come buck up in a specialist. Mm -hmm. And he just hold me on and say, come here. And draw me in a car and say, yo, me need to tell us that we're going to summer one day. The time is now, you know. And the man just start managing me the same night. <laughs> <laughs> because what a lot of people don't realize, before you even got to Motown, I think either your first or your second album, Specials is the one that put out that album there. Mm-hmm. <laughs> but um, before the album, let me tell you this, though. You see, we have to give respect to some people who deserve it and truly deserve it. You see, Shabarangs? Mm -hmm. Shabarangs is a youth where is beyond great in the things that he, the trends of him set in this business. 
Yeah. I would not say that if give no man no prop more than what they, they deserve. As we say, some man deserve them prop. And I was around when Shaba was in him here and right there because we used to tour all over the world together. And a lot of the things that you see going on now, the Shaba ranks really started. You understand me? And um, we tour all of Europe, all of America, all of the Caribbean, Asia, such as Japan and, the, and these places. And um, way before it was popular for dancehall artists. And when we were touring in America, all of the movie stars, the Wesley Snipes, the Steven Seagal, all of the people who was running the silver screen that time there, Eddie Murphy and all the man, all of them used to come to the shows. A lot of R&B and pop artists, R. Kelly, them, Bobby Brown, them, everybody used to be at a Shabarang show. You understand? So we have to give him some credit because he's one of the man, I would say, after Yellow, that really come take it to another level and really propagate this whole dance culture and music. Yeah, so we can tell the story and don't put that in. See? So we have to big him up. Crazy. And do you remember any night in particular, a show with you and Shaba on the road that you will never forget? <laughs> to be honest with you, it's difficult to pick one show and say I'll never forget. You see, when I what I used to admire was Shaba as an artist was one of the most exciting and electrifying artists coming out on stage. It's like when the MC come out to interview Shaba, it's the biggest frenzy you've ever seen in your life, Bridget. The frenzy is just so, so at such magnitude that sometimes it's like your eardrum of a bus. Because you know, so Shabba is a man where when he step out on stage and start run from cross stage to cross stage and start singing, um, get up, stand up and rock. It's like you have to be a dead man to don't get up, stand up and rock. Mm. He was a very electrifying performer on stage, Bridget. See? And every night is the same thing because I used to perform before him. And he used to say, boy, oh, Steve, my love, I'm going to go my stage, you know, because, you know, give me no daddy, daddy stage. Because we go out and make full presentation and I had it up. And when he forward on to come deal with it, brother, it is never normal. So, you know, it's difficult to pick any one show and say, this is the night that I'll never forget. Because every night was the same thing. Whether we in England, are we in Japan, are we in America, or anywhere we're there. When we depart on the road and Shabbat take on the stage, it is nothing normal, you know. So give give some credit where it's due. You know, is a youth where him get him national honors day day and we salute it because we think him deserve it big time. You understand me? Yeah, man. Crazy because I know when you were on the road with them, everybody was on the road. This is when you met Soul to Soul. How did that mm -hmm. happen? Yeah. Well, that meeting with Soul to Soul was a turning point in my career. Because I was in Brixton Academy performing, again, with the great Shabaranks. Um, I step out on stage before him every night on tour. I perform, brought the house down. When me finish and come off of the stage, a man come to me and say, Richie, guess what I want to see you? He said, who? He said, Jazzy B. So he said, Jazzy B. My you just chill out, man, and give me some ice water, some water to drink or something. Because them time the soul to soul was the hottest group in the world. Mm -hmm. 
Soul to Soul was winning Grammys after Grammys after Grammys, selling platinums, triple platinums, gold, silver, you name it. Soul to Soul was just the hottest group in the world. So, of course, you know, me think this lie matter. I joke him a joke. So five minutes time, the man come back and say, yo, the man out that door, you know, serious, you know. So I say, I'm to the bridge in there, man. Yo, tell him myself to come, man. Mm-hmm. But me a joke, too. Yes. A couple minutes when me look, my soul to soul, and it's soul to soul crew coming out of the corner, man, and step in at the place, man. And step up and say, Richie, great performance with a, in a patwa accent. So me the surprise. Mm-hmm. And at the same time, nervous, but you know, we just perform and lock the place so we can go on like we are not cowards. So we just stand up and start talking to him like a normal bridging. Yeah. And say, yes, Jazzy and Ray Tete. And we did the attack. And I said, no, man, I'm very impressed. Your vocals, your vocal is out of this world. And, you know, we, we want to talk to you. And he said, yeah, man. So what is it? So MBS Kali had told me that there's a song that they have that they would love to hear me on. Mm-hmm. Who they can talk to? Do I have a manager? Some single call specialist. Specialist talk to them. We set a date for I think the following day, and we go listen to the song. Them give me the song and say if you can take this back to the hotel and study it, and um, in another few days we um can try a recording. Try now, guys. <laughs> a big pop song. Anyway, we play the song and. Tell them play it again, and play it about four or five times. Mm-hmm. And I said to them, What about if I try a, a take now? He said, But you don't know the song. We said, No, man, just give me a try. Got them time, they were like sponge. We listen to the song a few times and just suck up melody and lyrics and everything that way. Mm-hmm. And, and that again is coming from our early training of singing dubs without making a mistake. We develop the kind of um, sharpness in our musical abilities that we know how now to catch on to things quickly and deliver. You see how important the plate is? Mm-hmm. All right. So this is what I mean when I say I, I am very sorry to know that those days with acetate, singing straight to acetate is no more because them thing they used to keep us as young artists on our feet. Anyway, them agreed to give me a chance. And in about 40, 45 minutes, the song was recorded and done, man. And them was so happy with the voice. And decided, say, you don't need to change nothing else. I'll try nothing else. And when they send the song to the record company, they choose it as the first single from the Soul to Soul album. So that was very, very, very special and magical at the same time. You understand me? And Soul to Soul was blown away because they don't work that way in pop music. You know? In pop music, as the way how they wanted was me to go and study the song for a week or so and then come back. We don't do things like that at Jamaica. We just say, boom, boom, what's next? So anyway, they were very impressed, but they wanted to sign me. Okay. What that means, I would have to leave specialist them and go to them. Mm-hmm. And as a little loyal countryman, I never did do it, you know? I never did do it. I just decided that, hey, mm-hmm. I'll just stick to my management and we went back to America. Them time it was from England to America to Japan to Europe. You know, we hardly come to Jamaica. Mm-hmm. Anyway, specialists they got a deal for me from Motown. Mm-hmm. So I was signed to Motown after performing on the Arsenal show, which was a major, major, major show at the time. It was like the Johnny Carson back then. 
Don't gloss over that one there too simply, you know, because Arsenio <laughs> Hall is a completely different level, especially coming from a reggae soca background or Caribbean background. That's not where you would see those type of artists on that type of a platform. Tell me what it was like going to the Arsenio Hall at that time there. Well, first of all, when I got the call that myself and Soul to Soul will be performing, because you're talking about the biggest stars in the world that used to do the Arsenal show. Michael mm -hmm. Jackson, Eddie Murphy, Whitney Houston, you name it, the biggest star. So when you're called to perform on the Arsenal show, it's not no normal nothing. Mm -hmm. So when we get the call and them tell me basically to prepare myself, to fly in to LA, we're going to stay down there one week to, prop, to um, rehearse and get dancers together. Because this is not no reggae thing now. It's a big pop thing with myself and soul to soul. You understand? And on a given night, is like 40 million people watching Arsenal show. You understand? Because it's not like now we have a million different programs to watch on the various internet channels. Them time that it was just Arsenal was the number one show. Yes. You understand? So we perform on that. And after we perform, I get a call about two days after, specialist them say, boy, guess what? Someone saw you from Motown and decided to call us up and a deal is structured and we go and sign to um to Motown, which was a great experience because you know Motown is one of the most iconic record company in the world at the time. Mm -hmm. Um and still is today. But I think it would have been a better deal for me to sign in England because England was where Soul to Soul was based, and England was where the song blew up. Because the song went straight in the top 10 when Joy came out. The song is called Joy, by the way. It went straight into the top 10 in England. And um, it went from, from seven to number three. And the only two artists that was holding out, holding us out of number one and was um, number one was Michael Jackson, number two was Elton John. Wow. Yeah, with two songs and it kind of stopped us from went number one. But the song went number one in many countries in, in Europe. Mm -hmm. So it was a big, big, big deal for me. So if I did sign a deal in Europe, which was what I was looking for, it would have been a better thing for me. You understand? But of course, it means I would have to turn my back on my management. I mean, never really did do still, but, mm -hmm. you know, we don't regret nothing. How things go, I saw it for good. I just saw it go. Okay, in this time, one more thing I want to know about this time here. You went on tour, after you signed with Motown, you went on tour with James Brown, I think Vanessa Williams, mm -hmm. and there was one other person on that tour there too. It was for you guys. Well, it, was, it was me and Soul to Soul with James Brown, and I'm Vanessa Williams, who was also Miss America mm -hmm. during that time. The first, the first black Miss America, Vanessa Williams. What was it like? to tour with somebody like James Brown in particular? Well, during them times now, I gathered enough experience to hold my own, regardless of the, the, um, the show or, or the platform, I, I could handle myself now. I was very, very confident. So that was the easier part. But then now to fit into those shows and to perform to up to that level, was something that I was looking forward to. And we managed to pull it off because during the performance, it really opened the door for a lot of other great things that I went to do by myself in Europe. Mm -hmm. 
I did a lot of TV shows all over Europe, France and all these places, you know, where you get to perform on the national TV station for the big, 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 big audience, you know, half of the country watching you on their TV. And so based on, because remember now, Top of the Pops Mm. was like the, the American MTV. Top of the Pops was, you don't sing on Top of the Pops in England unless you're in the top 10. National charts, and we perform on top of the pops, and it was so explosive that they invited us the second week to perform on top of the pops again, which a lot of people couldn't understand because my friend Maxi Priest mm-hmm. called me up and said, Richie, what is going on, man? This don't happen in England, you know. <laughs> you understand? Mm-hmm. So it was it was just a blessed time in my life and career. Um a serious step some days that I'll not forget, you know? Some really wonderful things that happen during them times. Yeah. Right. Because why did you guys decide to take the album more of a R&B style at that time you're opposed to a reggae style? What was the thinking behind that there? With Soul to Soul? Well, no, when you had put out your album when you signed on Motown now, it was more like... Oh, oh. More I would thing. say it was, it, was, it, it was like 30%... 40% R&B and 60% reggae. And it wasn't straight R&B either. It was a little R&B with some reggae influence. And, and the reason being, it was a lot of that was going on them time day. Mm-hmm. If you notice, um, we can name some of the songs that came out them time day, and some of them make big hits. House Call with Shabba and Maxi mm-hmm. Priest was a crossover hit. Um, songs like, like um, Weekend Girl by Tony Blanc, Queen Latifah. Um, Shab, um, Cobra with a song called Flex. Flex, you know, so that kind of sound was new to, 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 to amalgamate reggae with a little R&B in it. So when I come with a song called Every Time You Dare, our legacy with Matt Cobra, it was just a style that we created here in Jamaica to put the two genres together. So I had about 40% of that on the album and then the rest was just reggae. Crazy, crazy, crazy there. All right, that's what's going on there. Now I want to skip forward back to where we were earlier. You brought up a song, Maniac, that you did with Bounty Killer. How did that come around in the first place? Because I know out of every artist you've done songs with, it seems like Bounty Killer is the one. That's the Richie and Bounty. You could guarantee those two are going to put out some good music together. And I think that's probably the person you collaborated the most in your career. (laughs) Well, um, let me start with the creation of the song. I was in a party one night. Stone Love was playing. Mm -hmm. Um, And a particular rhythm came on. And I grooved to the rhythm. And then I find myself start singing, She's a Maniac on the rhythm. Mm. And it have a feel and a vibe to it. But I said to myself, if I was to sing, She's a Maniac on a rhythm like this, I'd prefer to, to move the chords and make it more musical instead of just a drum and bass or a one chord rhythm. Mm-hmm. But the strange thing is, back then, dancehall was not known for to be in pretty music. It was like more a drum and bass with a one chord, not moving kind of thing. So this would be unconventional for me to do something like this. But knowing me, if you know me at all, I am going to try something new. So I call in Lenky. Mm-hmm. Lenky is, is like a crazy 
young musician coming up who wouldn't be afraid to take the chance. I know if I call certain other musicians, they would have probably tell me, say, no, Richie, man, that's a foolishness. Mm -hmm. Not like how that song. But Lanky would be someone to take the chance. However, um, before Lanky, I went to Slide on Bar and said, Slide, you know me, I feel this. I'm going to sing the song to you. And say, I feel this. And he said, Wicked Richie. And Slide create a jump pattern for me. So when Slide create the jump pattern and give it to me now, that's when I went to Main Street and called up Lanky. Lanky forward and decides, say, all right, you know, say, me love all this song, Richie. How about this? And him start play the thing and start play it. And I said, then link it in and that me a talk about, man. That's why I'm call you. And he played on the track and everything. And of course, other musicians or other music associates in the studio couldn't understand what we're doing at the time because, as I said, dancehall music now sound that way during them time. Day. So me singing on the music now, put on the harmonies and everything, and it just sounds sweet, like an R&B kind of thing. But then now the plan was just to get killer, to put the hardcore element to the song. That's something I had in mind. Me never tell nobody, not even Lenky, me not tell that. Right? Because killer living in Seaview right beside my family. I have some family, brothers and sisters in Seaview. That killer them neighbor never met killer before but this was just my intention to do the rhythm then bring it to him i never wanted to go to him but tell him to me have a song and i like me you know oh, produce the song and make him hear it just like how i'm gonna do it with garnet silk so anyway finish up the song but check killer call my brother say me i a killer boom as i said two doors down from his house Call out, killer, killer, come out and say, Well, go on, Richie, me seven day, rude boy. Glad to meet you. And think my brother, as I tell me about you, and Ray. And listen to the song and said, This bad. Love this. This bad. Because I was wondering if he was going to like it. Got you. Because, as I said, sound a bit different. Mm -hmm. So, him love it. And boom, we book the time. No, him asked me, him say, When, when we have voice this? So, I say, Tomorrow. He say, All right, tomorrow. What time? Tell him some call him with the time, get the time, call him, tell him, kill a forward with the entire CV crew behind him. Boom, we're going to the studio, the man bring about four different verses, him and we only have space for two. Lyrics to kill with the man, right? Anyway, him come and put on him voice. Wicked! Wicked! But there was a little glitch in the sound. Yeah. Key-wise, you know? And him recorded the day, I mean, I say, all right, now I have to know how you approach this now because them time they know youth young youth full of ego you have to um careful how you try to deal with a youth especially in front of massive and thing for most artists that's how they used to operate i mean i said but this now still we have to change this today because me know musically it can be better so anyway me bring him outside and say yo rude boy we kidding now but there's a part in it blah 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 explain to him and he just look for me and say are you are the maestro, you know? So anything you say, I can go back in there and fix it. From them time there, me and Killer have a mutual respect for each other because he know me to be a man who would not go and bullshit him. And if the thing forgot that way there, me have to tell him, say, I saw it for going on. I saw my feet, so it forgot. And he's a youth who listened to me over the years. So we maintain that kind of relationship from then till now. It not changed. I saw it go with me and him. Musically and outside of music, seeing as some straight up talk, it's not only yes, 
It's not a yes man thing. It's if I saw the thing, I saw the thing. If it not go so, it not go so. So I would say we have a solid, firm, respectful relationship. Yes, sir. Because that right there is another hit that you guys created together. But this one here is really special. Pot of Gold. Because in this music video has your mom and his mom in the video. Yes, so sir. that's a different level of display and the love that you guys and the admiration you have for your mother. How did you guys come up with that one there? All right. So Pot of Gold is a song that I wrote long ago and recorded it by myself long ago. But it became a very significant song in my life. Remember when I was telling you that um, no respect to Jamis because when I made the first set of money, I started a business for my mother in the country. Mm -hmm. What I was explaining is that I, I am from a fishing village mm -hmm. in the place called Russia. Most of the people make their living from the sea. So I bought a, a fishing boat and an engine to start a little business for my mother and the boat became part of gold. Mm -hmm. So after that, years passed by, start my little studio. The studio became part of gold. Mm -hmm. Then start the record label. The, the record label became part of gold production. And I saw part of gold is a go on in my life. So we decided to re-record the song. So I re-record the song, and um, I remember I'd playing on the radio, and Killer called me up and said, Richie, me love that tune. Because I had more than one version. I have a version with me and a youth named DYC. But the original version was by myself. Mm -hmm. So could I hear the, the one with myself and say, why I made a love to be a part of that song. So it's not a problem. Come in, killer. Cause I say killer, I'm a little brother. I'm an artist. That mm -hmm. so we record a song. Um, we put out the song. The song became a significant song again because the addition of killer vocal and what he was talking about was his personal experience growing up with his mother. And then the whole idea of putting the two mothers in the video mm. come around and we decide, so boy, we are going to do it. Mm. So even though when I look at that video, it's a very touching video because both our mothers in there, um, our kids who are young little kids, them time, they are big man and big woman now. So, you know, it's just a, a really special video to us. And the song itself is a very special song because Mama deserves a party. But um, this song is a special song and will always be a special song to us. And, and always play in the dance hall and always play on the radio. Never stop. You know, that's how special the song is. Crazy, big, big song. About almost 30 years ago, to be honest with you, in 19, um, I think, 91, 92, we did our first song, a song called, a song called Mama's Blessing. Yes. And um, this song did fairly well for us. It was our first recording. And after that, we did uh, quite a few other songs. And um, I put one of them on my gospel album. And then in about 98, somewhere there, 
Mm-hmm. Shine did very well for us. Yes. It went number one in Cayman. It went number one in Montreal, Canada. We went on a tour to those places, Cayman, Canada, and then to America. And it was going on. But while doing all of those runs, I realized how difficult and how pressuring it's going to be on my mother if I should try to give her a career in music. So there was always a little hesitation because, you know, mama is mama. And who wants to put their mother in any kind of stressful situation if she don't have to? You know, so I kind of did ease up, to be honest with you. But it's always on my mind. And um, something that I want to do. It's always rest on my mind that there's something that I want to do with my mother's career, which is to really let her live her dream. But I was trying to figure out how I was going to do that in get, giving her the chance, but at the same time be protective of her and not to expose her to the music business at large because you know, so the music business is not as beautiful and pretty as it seems. There are some harsh realities that you're going to have to face if you're in music, you know? So again, that was a delay in, in the way we do things. But since here, I was sitting in the back of my yard and there was a song playing on the radio called, they called them Moses. And I was there listening to the song and saying, you know, it would be one of the most beautiful things for my mother to do a cover of this song. However, the song is not an easy song to sing. It's a song with a very high pitch. And I say, you know what I'm going to do? I'm going to go to my mother and I'm going to ask her to pitch this note. They called her Moses, which is the highest part of the song. And um, she smiled and then just pitched the note with the ease the ease that she pitched the note, and I realized that, hey, she still got that pipe. We still can work on some, some things together. So I started calling in the musicians, people like Urchin and Simit, people like Otney Lewis, Light Parks, the great Light Parks, and um, quite a few other musicians. We laid the rhythm track down. Then I went into the studio with her, spent some time, get the voice down, and after I put the voice down, um, the first person who was blown away was Earl Chinasimit. No, Earl Chinasimit is one of the most brilliant guitarists in the business, period. Mm-hmm. He's the one that played on One Love, One Heart by Bob Marley, and the great light parks and bass, and they were all blue at age. So, you know, after I put the song out, all the accolades start coming in. People like Sanchez, Marshall Griffiths. Freddie McGregor, they all call up to congratulate my mother and say, boy, after all these years, my mother's still blessed to have that song, that song, no cracks, no glitch. She just, just singing from her soul as freely like that. And um, I say, you know what, let me continue what I was doing for years and years and years, which is to put some stuff together and um, create an album. And this now would allow her, allow her to live her dream and at the same time to be one of the, 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 the biggest achievements in my head. We put the album together. The album is now released and out there and people are loving it. People are playing it everywhere on different radio stations around the world. And we are just feeling so elated about it and just giving God all the glory. So that is what is going on right now. Where could they check you out on social media if they wanted to get in contact with you for dubs or anything like that? Leave some social media handles before we get out of here. Okay, well, it's Rich Skeng 2. Uh, Richie Stevens, sorry. Richie Stevens 2 on Instagram. R-I-C-H-I-E. 
S-T-E-P-H-E-N-S-2 on Instagram. And it's just Richie Stevens on Facebook. So you can find me there. You can find me. I'm not hard to find. <laughs> All right. <laughs> I link up and chat with people every day. I'm not one of them artists who you can't find. All right. But yeah, man, I'm out there like that. And please check out the album. Go purchase the album. This podcast is brought to you by www.twolinedmusica.com.